Good evening, fans. Tim Kittrow here, the voice of NBA Jam. And you're listening to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast, brought to you by CodeWritePlay.com. Whoa, boom shakalaka. My mom gave birth in 1985. I was within a Pac-Man ghost, barely alive. In the cold world, my only blanket was Tetris. I played Rampart with Reagan Rampage, a world for breakfast. The laundry mat was my sanctuary. The arcade was my church. Cool. Uh, Chris, thanks for joining me. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. How you and, doing? Uh, I'm I'm great, thank you. Uh, thanks for jumping on a call this morning. Uh, I know you're a busy guy, so we were just talking about your move, uh, and uh, you just uh, went to EG, EGX, right? Yeah, just for the one day. Yeah, but I um, I had a little spot on one of the stages, um, met up with various people I've bumped into over the years. Yeah, it was a good time. Excellent. It, it sounded like the place to be. I mean, it's a, a little bit off the beaten path for me. It's hard for mm. me to get out there, but it sounded like everybody in the area uh, really enjoyed it. Um, was was there a lot of activity there? Was it kind of quiet? There was quite a lot. I mean, I, I mean, I think in terms of like industry people, it was pretty busy. I'm sure for like the general public, they'd have been on the Saturday and the Sunday. Um, but I think, you know, nothing, still, things still aren't quite where they were before the pandemic and everything, everything shut down. So, um, you know, the amount of stuff there, um, Perhaps isn't what it might have been, uh, but uh, yeah, th- things are getting better. Things are definitely moving in the right direction. Um, yeah, so that's well, encouraging. Yeah, we'll take what we can get, right? <laughs> cool. So we should have you go over uh, a little bit of your background. You've done some pretty cool work, obviously. Uh, give listeners uh, an idea. Yeah, so I joined the games industry in 2007. Uh, I started working at Jagex, who are mostly famous for making RuneScape. Although for the first about year and a half, I wasn't actually making games. I worked on such thrilling things as the billing system, um, you know, player support kind of um, back, back end kind of support systems and that kind of thing. Um, but after about 18 months, they let me have a crack at making games. Um, and I did that at Jagex right up until May May last year. Um, so I spent about seven years working on RuneScape uh, on the engine side of things. I worked on various other things that, that Jagex did that sadly weren't successful and don't exist anymore, um, hmm. including some that didn't even, you know, we didn't even announce because they were sort of prototypes, didn't work out. Um, but there was a card game called Chronicle, um, which was kind of a RuneScape-themed card game, um, which is less like Hearthstone than it sounds. Um, <laughs> but um, that's probably the most fun I had uh, while there, because I had the because when you're working on RuneScape, you're working on something that's been going for years and years, and you're coming in yeah. and kind of working with lots of legacy stuff. But Chronicle was a ground up. We need we need we need one. We like one back end for a game, please. Uh, could you <laughs> design us one, um, and then kind of head up the team that built it? Um, so that was pretty cool. So, I mean, uh, you're obviously a pretty technical person to handle what uh, the the RuneScape work required, right? Yeah, I mean, not just me, obviously. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to give the wrong impression that it's just me holding it together. Sure. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of, um, you've, you've got a big weight of legacy stuff that needs to keep on working. Um, so how quickly you can sort of change direction is, is, is limited. Um, but then, you know, you are trying to do kind of new and exciting things, push the engine in different directions, um, and really kind of support what the content guys are doing so they can do cool stuff. Um, yeah, because pe- people like to say, oh, you know, the engine is kind of the heart of everything, but fundamentally nobody's paying for what the engine team is doing. People are paying for the content team, and, you know, that's the stuff they want, so we want to make sure that they're able to do the best stuff they can. It's it's interesting to uh, hear from people who have worked on projects that have gone long enough to see this amount of, like, change in technology. You know what I mean? Like, it's mm-hmm. you've you've had to support quite a bit of uh, technical evolution, you know? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, the big thing for RuneScape was getting it out of the browser because um, it started yeah. out as a, as a Java applet that ran in a browser, which was part of the reason it was so successful early is that you could, even if you were a little kid and your parents would let you install games on your PC, <laughs> you could go and play RuneScape in your browser. You could play it in the school library and stuff. Um, but then everybody realized that Java applets in browsers weren't the most secure things in the world. Um, and uh, we realized, oh, we, we'd better stop doing this. Um, yeah, so we had a crack at doing it in HTML5, um, which which did work, but it didn't run, didn't have the performance we needed. Um, yeah, so now RuneScape runs on a, a completely native C++ client. Um, and for old school RuneScape, which we didn't want to do that for, we just thought, well, let's take the Java app and we'll bundle it with the, with uh, OpenJDK and send you that. And you can then, so you don't have to have in Java installed on your desktop anymore. Um, yeah, so yeah, it went from a browser game to a native C++ client um, over, you know, 15 years. You've uh, you you left more recently than I realized. So uh, maybe you have still have a sense of this. Like, there's still quite a bit of uh, like, what's the player base like? It's still pretty pretty big, right? Oh yeah. Um, so the the big thing we did, uh, I say we're well, not there anymore. But after <laughs> I was there at the time, uh, I, I'm still slightly institutionalized, having worked there for 13 years. I'll still talk <laughs> about Jagex as we. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, the mobile ports uh, we did old school first because that was a little bit easier. Um, uh, were absolutely phenomenal in terms of um, both membership and sort of CCU. We kind of thought, well, we've done this work now. People are playing on mobile. Will they play it for more than five minutes? And it turns out they will. Um, so we thought it might just be a temporary spike and a drop, but it hasn't been. It's really sort of led to a resurgence of um, of the game. Very cool. It's it's nice to to hear teams carrying it out this this much, and uh, that's quite a bit of fan service that you guys have worked very hard on. So that's cool. Um, and more recently, you've you've started your indie work. Um, I mean, hmm. when what was the motivation? When did that start? Like, how has that gone? Yeah, so I was actually doing both for a while. So Jagex uh, let me go part time. Um, so from the very end of 2019, I was doing indie stuff as well. Um, and really, I think it was just that after that many years in one place, I thought, you know, I, it's time for a change. Um, I did knock on a couple of doors uh, in Cambridge in the UK, which is where where Jagex is. Uh, those didn't work out, so I thought, right, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to you know, have a stab at the indie dream. Um, yeah, so about two and a half years ago, I actually started, you know, having done some British typing, I started on a game, Hexahedra, a puzzle game, um, with now as a, stem, uh, a demo on Steam. Yeah, which was um, obviously quite a transition. Um, and um, trying to do two things at once was a little odd, because also at the same time, we were all working from home um, because yeah. of COVID. So, yeah, I was sort of rocking up for five days a month. Here, sort of a couple of days here, a couple of days there, at Jagex sort of via Zoom. And, you know, I basically took my dev PC home yeah, I was doing that and then doing indie stuff um, all the other uh, weekdays. And this seems like an ambitious uh, first indie project for not getting as much time as I'm sure you would like, uh, <laughs> because it, it goes deep. Like I, I watched the trailer and, and just I watched it several times. I'm like, wow, this really is a, a fairly deep, fairly ambitious uh, puzzle game, which has a lot to do with... Um, like factories and automation and things like you'll describe it better than I will, but like, there's a lot to it. Yeah. Yeah. Although I think, I mean, you're right. There is, but it's one of those games where you get a lot of interesting stuff out of quite simple elements. So it's a, um, it's a, uh, an open-ended puzzle game. So rather than there being a puzzle, a puzzle where there's one right answer, it's here's a factory, here are the tools you need to make your factory make the right stuff off you go. And then it kind of rates you on how efficiently you can do things and that sort of thing. But um, you know, you've got a bunch of different devices, that do things to cubes in a factory that paint them, clean them, fire lasers at them and stuff. Um, and um, there's a, there's enough sort of variety in those things that you can then make sort of complex factories with lots of branching logic and loops and 
you know, sort of some fairly complex behavior. So it all, um, and it's quite, it was quite being to see it come together from a sort of a, a very early stage where I sort of only had a few things watching that now I've got sort of, you know, more devices, more commands, you actually get a lot of complexity, even though each individual piece is quite simple. So it's quite pleasing in that sense. Um, and it is, I guess, in that it wants it, it is ambitious, but having, you know, worked at Jagex, decided, I decided going indie, well, I'm not going to touch anything to do with multiplayer. That's a stupid <laughs> idea. I'm a one-man <laughs> team. I know just how hard that is, Smart even man. if it's not an MMO. Uh, um, uh, and if I try and do anything like that, I will kind of drown in my own ambition. Because I'm primarily a kind of a, a programmer, that's uh, uh, my sort of back-end um, history, Making a puzzle game, as well as it being the kind of game I like to play, I love playing like Zactronic stuff, Opus Magnum, Space Cave, that kind of thing. Uh, it also maximizes how much of the game I can make. So I'm, I'm paying freelancers to make all the graphics and the music and so on. Um, but the more I can do myself, uh, the cheaper it is to make. Um, and also it's the kind of game where um, once you've got some assets, you know, those are very reusable, you know, a bunch of puzzles use the same stuff. I don't need huge set pieces of 3d artwork and stuff so yeah i was uh the game has a lot of depth which is great uh but i deliberately set out to make something that was relatively small in scope and that meant i could do as much of it as possible now tell me if i'm right the, the impression i had was that uh you you had the playable demo on steam mm. uh you're just entering crowdfunding to sort of uh, build it out into the fully releasable game is mm. that right yeah yeah uh, so yesterday as, as we're recording this um yeah the 27th um, yes, yeah, so it went live on Kickstarter, um, which is exciting uh, and a bit terrifying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but here we go. Um, yeah, so I've sort of taken it as in a, the, the game. The game works. Uh, there is a, there's a demo on Steam if people want to give it a go. Um, but what it needs is more environments. Having said, I don't need that many assets. I do want there to be some variation as you go through the game. There's going to be a bit of narrative, and I need some sort of 2D art for to kind of sell that. Um, so I just need money to go and pay freelancers to make me more stuff. Um, yeah. I, I took a look at the crowdfunding page and um, you you have pictures of like the assets that do certain sets of the, the different parts. And that's when it hit me like this is a deep game, but it's also very clever in its design. Like like you said, you didn't need that many assets to do a lot of work, mm -hmm. like a, a lot of variation in the game, which is smart uh, for for <laughs> a uh, primarily a programmer like myself who would also be mm -hmm. looking for either uh, prepackaged assets or to. Uh, get some help with that. So that yep. seems like smart design. So um, I'm, I'm guessing that brings down the potential cost of, you know, how, how much you actually need to fund it. But it looks like you've had a decent uh, turnout already, right? Yeah, the first day went pretty well. Um, you know, I've got various things lined up. I've got a bunch of streamers lined up. So kind of, you want some, something pushing your Kickstarter every day, otherwise it kind of dies. Um, but yeah, solid first day, and also you then get, you get there's always a sort of a bucket shape to these things where you get a big pickup at the end. Something, something I like that you you said was, even as a former RuneScape developer, you went and looked at indie projects and went multiplayer. No, <laughs> like want to avoid that, and that, I think that's very telling because a lot of people come in who who don't know as much about it as you do and go shouldn't be a huge deal, right? Like <laughs> the answer is yes. It's a, it's a very, very big deal, especially to do it right. You know? Yeah. 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 And you can, you can do quick and dirty client authoritative stuff um, where, you know, every player is in charge of their own game state, uh, which is fine. Yeah. As a cult for a cult experience in, in particular, it's probably fine, but for anything competitive, suddenly, you know, you, you've made the game vastly exploitable. Um, and so to, yeah, to get that right, uh, and to do it in a robust way is is way more work than it, it, it first seems. Mm -hmm. 
so you've got a little bit of a community started on Steam, I'm guessing. Like, I'm guessing you're hearing from players already. How's that going? Yeah, I mean, it's all feedback has been very positive. Um, yeah, more on Discord than on Steam. Um, ah, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I've, I've been streaming all the dev on Twitch as well. So there's a bunch of people who kind of come out and hang out with me as I, as I sort of program the thing, um, which has been, I think as a solo dev has been a great encouragement. So I'm not just sort of literally by myself all day. Uh, also useful just for keeping me engaged. Like I can't go and waste 20 minutes reading Reddit if people are watching me uh, on stream. So, but um, yeah, and people have commented that it's it's very well polished as a demo. They're surprised at the level of polish for an indie thing. And I, but I mean, the game has been in its sort of functional state for quite a long time now. And I spent the last few months just tweaking the UI, changing the tutorial around, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, yeah, so people are broadly are very positive about it. it. It is quite a niche game. I'm not expecting to be the next Fortnite or anything. Um, but for <laughs> people who are into that into that particular vibe, um, yeah, feedback has been really good. I love this kind of thing. It, it reminds me of like the old uh, Incredible Machine games, the, all mm-hmm. your Rube Goldberg type uh, yeah. puzzles, which is is cool. It's like, I think anybody who takes time to look at that, like it might not be the most natural thing for some players to pick, but mm-hmm. if they sit down and look at it, they go, oh yeah, this is great. I love this kind of thing. And they they fiddle with it. Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hoping you get that, that same effect too. Um, it's, yeah. it, it looks like it's had a little bit of uh, like some small press attention too, right? Yeah, that came from taking the game to uh, Insomnia, which is a, a big LAN event in the UK. So it's actually, as a LAN party, it's the biggest thing the UK has, but it also has an expo attached to it. Uh, and they are another group who sort of give out kind of indie, uh, indie expo space for free. So I grabbed one of those, which was great. And oh, yeah, yeah, some journalists came around and uh, yeah, I got a couple of articles out of that. Um, so at that point, it was in closed beta. So I got an Alpha Beta Gamer article about it, for example. Yeah, so it has picked up a little bit of, um, little bit of interest. It seems like uh, the footwork actually showing up to events, uh, like as soon as you have something you can show that I'm sure you've seen. There's a lot of talk about indie marketing right now, particularly on Twitter, if you're active there. Mm. And um, people saying like, not just that it's difficult, it's definitely difficult. No question about it. It's hard to do what I do. It's hard to do what you do uh, because of the amount of it that is out there. So it's hard to stand Mm. out, even if it's great. But I hear people say that like, it can't be done. And I, I don't believe that. And I think that you're, you found a, a way to do it, which is show up, show people, uh, you're not going to get everybody, you know, this may not hit IGN during demo phase or anything like that, but like, it oh. seems like you're taking the right steps and you are getting some, some attention. I mean, that's gotta be encouraging, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, I have, you know, sent a lot of emails out that got, you know, to journalists and not got much response. I think partly because I'm at the demo stage rather than the release stage, which is understandable. If there's mm. way too many needs to cover all of them, by all means, give the coverage to the people who are actually about to release a game. That makes perfect sense. I don't begrudge anybody doing that. Um, yeah, some, you know, some games just naturally lend themselves to grabbing people's attention. Like Trombone Champ has just gone huge because <laughs> it's hilarious watching people fail to play a, a tune you know well. Um, and that is just very memeable. Um, when you're making a puzzle game, it doesn't really work that way. It doesn't have fun action sequences it doesn't have you know anything that's sort of eye-catching in that sort of sense um but yeah once once i get it in front of the people who are interested in it they all go oh yes this is a this is a game that's got legs it's it's got the depth it's got the mechanics it, it's it's got quality um yeah it is just perhaps a little harder to break out in a big way Okay, this episode is brought to you in part by Pact Publishing, who I love. Uh, if you are a, game, a Unity game developer working on 3D games, 
or if you would like to be, check out Unity 3D Game Development from Pact, which is available right now. Uh, Unity 3D Game Development was written by not one, but four authors, including uh, Anthony Davis, an experienced senior technical artist, uh, Travis Baptiste, who is an expert artist and 3D modeler, Russell Craig, who is a senior software engineer at Unity Technologies, and uh, Ryan Stunkel, who is a professional sound designer. So you should pay attention to who you learn from, and it's difficult to get more authoritative than this. So uh, the book walks you through designing characters, building environments, thinking your way through user interactions, getting technical with um, things like building, lighting, testing, uh, you name it. And you can join a book community on Discord where you can interact with the authors, meet other devs, participate in events, all kinds of stuff. So uh, check out Unity 3D Game Development, available right now if that sounds good to you. Big thanks to Pact for supporting the show. I felt like you have just about a perfect demo for it. Did you do that yourself? I'm sorry. I mean, uh, the, the trailer. Uh, that's what oh, I the trailer. <laughs> like. Oh, yeah. The, the, the trailer shows like everything like just right. Really caught my attention. Like, tell me about that. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of all the graphical assets, I've reused a lot of stuff from the game, even like the overlays and stuff. Um, I mean, I'll be honest. Mostly I looked at the Opus Magnum trailer and thought, that's quite good. I'll try and do something a little bit like that. Not like, <laughs> you know, uh, sort of, you know, frame for frame, but the idea of here's how you start a factory, here's how you make it bigger, here's a much more exciting one, um, and kind of building up and then kind of showing all the little extra mechanics you can do, like, you know, the the, the, the branching logic and the loops and that kind of thing, and kind of building up. Um, I've also got the benefit of um, the music track in the game has lots of layers, so the bigger your factory is, the more layers of music, and when you run it, you get an extra layer on top of it. Um, nice. And... Um, I was able to use that in the trailer. So the trailer starts off just with the first layer. And as you go through and, and what you're seeing gets more and more impressive, the, the music kind of ramps up with it as well. So I had the advantage of having that already in place. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was then me plugging away. I mean, that is version, I don't know, five of the trailer. The first ones were much less good, but I sort of got that, got the swing of it. And the first one didn't even have like the final UI artwork at it. So it was, it was, it was rough. <laughs> um, you know, the UI when it was still black rectangles with white borders, because that was, you know, my level of artwork. Um, it didn't look anywhere near as catchy. Um, but yes, it's, um, it's taken a long time and a lot of effort for me to get it to that point. Um, and the first ones are pretty poor, but um, yeah, I've got the advantage of having lots of assets that kind of dovetail well into it. That's uh, th that stood out to me when uh, the discussion started about, you know, good indie marketing, what's good, what's bad, what works, what doesn't work uh, was, you know, everybody I've talked to, it sounds like the people it's working out for, they're they're doing the marketing part for themselves as best they can. But they're hmm. they're doing what you're doing. They're iterating on it. They're going back, seeing what works, what doesn't the same stuff you do in development, uh, you know, yeah. coding, design, whatever it is like you just go back to the drawing board sometimes say like. You know, okay, I, I did it. That one didn't work. Let's try it again with something else. I, I feel like that effort is is what adds up over time, you know? Yeah. I think yeah, I think they have improved. The thing the thing I can't do, which I'd love to do, because I need budget for it, is to sort of properly A B test different things and kind of sure. you know pay to put this in front of this many people and this one. But like, you know, I don't have the budget for that, so I've got to put out a new thing, see what the impact is. Um, which makes it harder. Uh, but yeah, you you've just got to keep plugging away. And if it doesn't work, accept it, tweak it, do it again. Speaking of budgeting and, and such, um, you know, being being an indie solo developer, how how do you decide on like what, what was your process for deciding who to work with for assets, you know, music, anything mm. like that? 
Yeah, and for some some of the things, like the concept artist is someone I worked with at Jagex previously, um, who has since gone freelance. So, um, you know, looking her up and saying, hey, you're free for some work was, was pretty straightforward. Um, other than that, I have just been sort of pitching for stuff. So there's a there's a big uh, UK-based games industry Slack channel um, run by the Splash Damage guys, um, which has huge numbers of people on it. Um, and it's very easy there to, you know, put an ad out there and get... Um, some sort of you know high quality responses. If you sort of advertise more widely, if you put a thing out on like a game dev Discord, you get huge numbers of people who um, are offering work, but the the quality perhaps isn't there. Uh, whereas in that space, it's sort of people already in the industry working as professionals, so um, it was a bit easier to well, yeah, uh, far fewer people interested, but of a higher standard. So yeah, so most of the people I've actually worked with are people I hadn't met before, and possibly even hadn't met before I commissioned them, which is always a bit nerve wracking. Um, I just sort of had chatted to them online, had seen their portfolios. Um, but um, yeah, I'm grateful that they all seem to have worked out. I haven't um, regretted any of the contracts I've signed, which has been uh, a real blessing. Um, but yes, it has been a case of putting the word out there in the right places uh, and um, taking a look at a lot of portfolios. That that is good because you're you're right. It's it's a risk and uh, it's you know it's business and business as an indie is scary. You know no mm. matter no matter what because if I I certainly hear from people pretty regularly who go I brought somebody in for this and they totally you know dumped it they punted it was no good whatever the case is mm. and that's that can kill a project really you know yeah 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 because I've had you know. Um... The reason I'm on Kickstarter now is that the you know the initial sort of funding I had to get the demo made um, has run dry, um, and it, yes, if I had picked a duff freelancer, that would have been a real a real blow. Although partly having been in the industry a while, I kind of knew kind of where where, where to spend the money, um, I think, and sort of who to focus on. Um, and you know, I sort of I sort of realized well because the, the demo currently doesn't have any sound effects, but it does have music, and I thought well that gives it an audio feel. But actually, that, that's probably the better way. If I can only afford to do one right now, do that. Give it an atmosphere. The fact that the devices over there aren't making any noise. Well, they're in a distance. It's not so bad. Um, but there is a you kind of sold the atmosphere of the game um, being a kind of sci-fi with lots of synths and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was helpful. But um, yeah, it, it could easily have been a disaster. It hasn't been, and that's good. <laughs> it, it is always good to hear when it when it goes well. Um, Speaking of uh, puzzle games, like what are some puzzle games you think are, are crushing it right now? Like what's what's the kind of thing that inspires you that you play now? Or are you more inspired by like older stuff? I mean, a big uh, influence on Hexahedra has been all the Zaktronic stuff because um, they kind of dominate that space. Um, <laughs> they're sort of the big player. Although they have said that their next game is going to be their last one, which is which is going to be sad. Um, huh. Last Call BBS is it's in early access, but once it comes out, they decided not because they've. I think just because they they want to do different things. There's nothing sort of they haven't done they've, they've fallen out or anything. It's just that they've kind of come to an end. Um, so um, yeah, that kind of thing uh, really big influence. I mean, my favorite puzzle game of all time is the Talos Principle, but that's a that's a very different kind of game. Um, but yeah, it's, it's that kind of you know getting depth out of a small number of mechanics. And things like you said, the Incredible Machine um, is a slightly different kind of game, but it's got that same idea of a bunch of simple tools making cool stuff is just, I just, I, it pleases my program. My brain, I think is part of the, uh, <laughs> part of the reason for it. That, that was kind of a topic I was thinking about writing recently because, um, you know, I, I have a lot of traditional gamer friends who are not mm-hmm. developers, not, uh, creative folks in, in this way, at least. And, um, you know, when a lot of my friends talk about like, you know, how much they liked 
Red Dead Redemption 2 and, you know, when's the next uh, Call of Duty coming out? Like, we do play Call of Duty together. We have fun with that kind of thing. But Hmm. um, what I appreciate out of games is so different from the traditional, like, you know, big AAA uh, experience. Like, I I really like creating something. I like Hmm. organizing something. I even uh, started playing Shipbreaker recently where you're dismantling Hmm. ships, but you're doing it in such a neat and clean, tidy way. Even stuff like House Flipper or something, like, I could sit yeah. in front of that forever. And so that that's something that interests me about this because I've really been thinking about the different things we all like to get out of games. And for me, it's more order than chaos. You know what I mean? Does that make any sense? Yeah, I mean, I've been, it's been amazing to watch like the, the rise of, you know, something simulator, whether it be, you know, Power Wash or whatever. Uh, and people just kind of, in some ways, they are, they are more toys than games There's nothing wrong yeah. with toys but they are you know they're they're an activity rather than a uh, a game with lots of sort of interesting choices about them but they're clearly scratching nature people who just want something to relax to mm. um and i think i think if i yeah they're the kind of games that i would enjoy but probably wouldn't stick with for that long because i think eventually it would become it would feel a bit more like work like i can sure. i can visualize what this very clean thing looks like but the going through the work of you know spraying everything perhaps wouldn't hold me for that long but clearly that's a you know, it, it, I think it's more of a, of a sort of relaxation and chill thing for people rather than um, than gaming as such. So it's, it's, think, it's, it's, good, it's good that there's a new niche and there's a whole new bunch of people probably coming to these things who, um, you know, aren't into modern warfare or whatever, but, you know, can want, want to relax in that way and it's cool. I think I've heard uh, Will Wright talk about this topic also, you know, of course, in, in the development of like SimCity and, you know, Spore hmm. and, and whatever else, but like talk about, he said exactly that. He said, like, I look at it like I'm creating basically a play thing. You could think of it as a toy or just a little thing with buttons that does neat stuff. And and he said, like, he got into that going, OK, I'll, I'll create this and see how far it goes. And the answer was, you, there's almost unlimited space to push that and people will follow. People will enjoy it and play it. And so I think it's cool. I think it's cool to sort of push uh, our, our boundaries of what we think of as a game or, you know, mm. where a game goes, how it's supposed to be packaged and what the end is supposed to look like. Should there be an end? Who knows? But, uh, I, I love projects like that. I'm, I'm curious to know, um, you know, I, I, it seems like people are, are, uh, behind this project and supporting it. I'm curious what feedback looks like for a game like this. What's it been like so far? <laughs> I've had some people give some like really specific um, right. you know, you need to change this very small thing kind of feedback, which like I will sort of consider, but then, you know, if you're the only person asking for it, maybe it's not the most important thing. Um, but yeah, but people are, the, the really interesting thing is I've done a lot of uh, playtests where people are streaming to me just over Discord or something, what they're doing. Um, and it, it's amazing to see what people do and don't pick up on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so a lot of the tutorial work has been kind of making sure that people don't, you know, if there's a snag, people, everyone gets over that particular hump. Um, but even stuff like, you know, UI things where like all, all the time controls are in a line apart from the stop button that's down here and people just don't see it because they're looking in this long line. Where's the stop? And they're sure. looking somewhere else just doesn't, you know, their, their brain is going to blank that out. Their brain has said, this is the bit I need. It's somewhere here, only it isn't. And then people will spend quite a lot of time before they sort of break out of that and um, go and do something else. So, yeah, I've had really useful um, sort of feedback on how how the game experience works. Um, Get got that you know from that, you know, getting it that way, which has been uh, really valuable. Um, but yes, I mean, in terms of people, you know, broadly have said it's a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it, or say you know it was a bit hard, maybe towards the end. Um, but um, 
it's interesting because players never give feedback the way game developers do, um, which is fine. Um, but uh, you, you get a very kind of different vibe out of people, um, particularly particularly when people uh, think they need to be nice to you. Um, so you get very different feedback from sort of friends as well. Um, mm-hmm. So it's useful to have the kind of harsher stuff sometimes. Um, so when I've put the game up on, um, you know, sort of Discord for puzzle gamers, you know, I get a very different kind of feedback from people who kind of found me on Twitch and kind of got to know me a bit. Um, so I feel like I've rambled a lot there. I'm not sure I really answered your question. Um. <laughs> no, that's that that's about right. And that's pretty open-ended, obviously. But I, it's something we don't think about. Like we we try to design experiences for players that um, a big thing in games is like having the player like think differently, think outside the box, especially in puzzle games, like uh, taking their expectations, sort of like twisting a little, little bit and going, can you think on your feet? Can you be ready for this? But like from the design perspective that's difficult because maybe we don't always go like okay we trained you to think differently are we ready for that have we guided this experience the right way do you know know what i mean yeah yeah there's something that um zach barth who um the guy who set up zachtronics said is that no matter what your tutorial is people are basically trial and erroring their way to the solution that is going to try things in your game and so what the job of the tutorial really is to funnel them so that their trial and error ends up in the right place and they've spotted all the random things on the way and they've learned the necessary things. So you're just trying to kind of bound them as they go rather than just hold their hand, which, in which case they don't learn as much. Um, yeah, and, uh, and seeing where people, you know, you think you've got a nice funnel, but some people jump out of your box and kind of end up somewhere over here and get stuck and then working out how to sort of, you know, <laughs> make, the whole, make the whole structure kind of keep them um, heading in the right direction is, is kind of the challenge, I think. Yeah. And that, that's why, that's part of why I think a puzzle game is super ambitious just because of all the things you don't necessarily see, uh, going in. Even I had this experience trying to make a card game that I wanted to build out after a game jam and went like, hmm. you know, I, I came up with a basic thing and I thought it worked. I got some nice feedback and I thought like, let's really push this a little further. And hmm. by, the end of it like for one thing it never became a, a fully fleshed out product it would have taken probably years uh sure. it, it it expands very quickly and by the end mm. of it you're going like i should have just tried like a mario clone or something like that would have been infinitely <laughs> simpler than what this turned into you you think like just little squares moving around a screen and everything's going to be fine it gets weird you know <laughs> it gets mm. it gets yeah. scary yeah feature creep is real um yeah i mean that was a one project i worked on way back when where there's this sort of saying that you know feature creepers are trying to make an octopus by nearly extra legs onto a dog and i think by the end of the project we were we'd got a centipede having started with the dog it had gone and and our sort of you know our iteration time was 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 horrendous um yeah and so i think yeah that's kind of one of the reasons that um making this this puzzle game kind of works because i can add you know adding an extra device to the kind of things you can do in your factory is it that's all very self-contained like the i mean you know, the, the, it, it's one of the most sort of well-designed for OO programming projects I think I've ever worked on because, you know, there are a bunch of things in your factory that, and they're all uh, in charge of their own little thing. You know, if you tell the factory that says, this device, do your thing, and it's then in charge of doing its own little thing, and it's all they're all very self-contained. Um, so building out extra functionality um, worked well because it didn't it was never going to require enormous rewrites of existing stuff because they're all sort of very well siloed from each other. Um yeah, as well. I think one of the appeals the project had was it was just very neatly divided up logically and was very easy to reason about um, mm-hmm. as a solo dev. 
let's say this exceeded all expectations, went extremely well for you, and you had just a ton of flexibility on like where you went from here. Like, would you mm. do you think you would grow the studio, start a team? Like, would you focus on just a bigger project next time? Like, where would you go from here? Yeah, I mean, I've I've sort of tried not to daydream too much and keep, sure, <laughs> keep yeah. my focus. But um, yeah, I think um, I do very much enjoy being a solo indie. I think um, you know, I, I I think ending up as being a, a studio owner or a manager, I think wouldn't. I don't think I'd enjoy it. And I don't think it would play to my strengths. Um, so I don't think I'd want to go in that direction. Um, but I would like to be able to make games where. You know, I'm able to take freelancers and, and sort of pay them to do even more things and make cooler stuff. Um, but um, yeah, I, I would probably end up still making games where, you know, the code and the game design is me. And if they have, even if they're able to have, you know, much more exciting art and sound budgets, um, would be my guess. I think where I'd go. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because I'm always trying to look for little things like what can we appreciate about the way things have changed in recent years. And of course, uh, remote work has become more. Uh, mm not not just possible, but more like expected. Like we expect to see people available to do certain things. And I, I think that kind of freelancer model makes more sense than even it used to. And it used to be fine. Uh, but it, it seems like that's maybe uh, the future of um, a lot of indie development, I think, right? Yeah, I think so. Because um, it used to be really niche. There was, um, oh, it never got released. Uh, a friend of mine worked on a PlayStation port of the original Unreal, which basically oh. worked but never got out. Um, and this, this is while he was still at school. He was an absolute legend. Um, <laughs> so it's like 1996 or something. Um, and um, But that was an entirely remote studio. Like some of them were in America. He was in the UK. Um, so it has been going on for a while. Um, yeah. But yeah, it is, it is going to become much, much more normal. Um, but I think, you know, so my wife uh, has a perfectly sort of normal, regular job. She's not, 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 not an indie. She's been working at home four days a week for a while and she goes in once or once a week just because it's actually nice to see your colleagues it is helpful to have meetings so there, there is i think there's always going to be some place for in-person stuff but sure. um but i guess actually also when you're doing game development it is you know there's no there's no manufacturing facility people have got to go to it is much easier to do it and i think yeah it will it, it's, it's here to stay it's not going to disappear i don't think yeah uh and in in browsing your um your Twitter feed, I, I couldn't help but notice her uh, crocheted animals that she was hiding around. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and that was delightful. Like, if, if anybody uh, goes to follow you uh, after the show, I would strongly suggest they check out the uh, the tiny crocheted animals. She's clearly a very oh, yeah. talented craft person. <laughs> he, he, he might be here. Yes, he is. Hang on. One moment. There we go. Here, here is Octavius. Uh, he hangs out with me. <laughs> And um, fantastic. Oh, and Zoom is slightly green screen again, but never mind. Um, oh, <laughs> but yeah, and he he has uh, he has a variety of hats that you know come off. So uh, yeah, he um, yeah she does this all the time, and she like yeah hides them around the house and stuff, um, and it's a lot of fun. But um, yeah, crochet and game dev is kind of yeah my, my Twitter feed for more or less. <laughs> that's, that's a nice wholesome uh, subset of things to talk about. Um, you're also kind of a so clearly you, you worked in like fantasy game development, but you're a little bit of a sci-fi guy too, right? Hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. If I could, if I could show you my shelf over there, you'd see a, a whole worth of uh, games and books and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think it's weird. So my my dad was all about my parents were into sci-fi as a kid, uh, and hmm. so I kind of always almost looked on that as the default literary genre because that was what was in the house. Um, and um, you know, I love the idea of being an engineer because in all these old sci-fi books from like the sixties, you know, engineers the people who can just fix any problem. Um, and I think that was probably a big part of you know 
why I grew up the way I am. <laughs> it's true. Um, like my mom and I, when I was young, uh, I don't think my dad was into anything like that, but my mom was a Star Trek fan from just like mm. way back. And that was one of like really pretty few things that, I mean, it wasn't like we couldn't just sit in a room together and enjoy anything, but like, that was one thing that was like, Oh, like the next generation's on. Okay. You know, <laughs> I'll, I'll sit down and watch that. And I, I really did develop quite an appreciation for that. And it, it doesn't hurt if you have a parent who's into it. Cause obviously I have friends who are like, ah, my parents didn't like that stuff. So they didn't really want me to just take up the TV in the, in the evening mm. with uh, star Trek or whatever, but it is kind of cool to have a little, little family, um, you know, somebody interested in that kind of thing. So I, I did come up with a healthy appreciation for that stuff. And, uh, what a, what a great time it is for sci-fi fans. We've got just fantastic stuff to watch now, you know? Yeah. In fact, it's, it's possibly my earliest memory. It gets a bit hazy that far back, but I think one of the earliest things I can remember is of helping in inverted commas, my dad to play the original elite. Um, mm. it would have been like, I don't know, 1985 or something. Um, well, I, I sat on his lap and I got to press M when he wanted to fire a missile and that was me helping. Um, so, you know, I've been, and apparently when I first went to school, uh, I could, I, 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 I could recognize my own name in, or I could, I could type my own name, I think on a keyboard, but I couldn't write anything, but I could type it out on a keyboard as long as it was in capitals. And I, I got confused if it wasn't in capitals, but yeah, I've always been extremely computery just because, you know, that's what we had in the house. Uh, similar to the the earlier question, like what what kind of game would you tackle after this if if things went really well and you just could do uh, anything you wanted? I mean, if I could do anything I wanted, I have got an eighty hour RPG stuck in here somewhere, which I'd love to get out into the world. But uh, right. even it, no matter how well Hexahedron does, I suspect that might be too ambitious, particularly if I wanted to stay solo. Um, but um, yeah, I think I think it wouldn't be Hexahedra two straight out of the gate. I'd want to go and do something else. So I'd probably take some time to kind of. Obviously, there'd be a load of prototyping, and who knows, who knows where that would go. But um, yeah, I, I think I probably want to branch out a little bit and not not just stick in sort of one particular direction too much. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, I, I do kind of enjoy kind of abstract stuff. So it might be something you know relatively um, conceptual. I'm not going to go make an FPS. I don't think that's just kind of. I, I play an FPS. There's nothing wrong with them, but I just don't think that's kind of where I'm going to go. But something that's probably a bit more. Um, slow paced um and sort of more in the kind of puzzly space i, I would guess mm -hmm. what's the uh what's the technology for this game i mean are you using an engine of any kind coding from scratch mm. like what's that how's that work so uh the, yeah the game's in unity um although i've taken a very specific approach where all of the all of the core logic of um you set up a factory does it solve the level that exists as a pure c sharp dll so that's not actually in unity because it means i can then use that on a back end for verifying stats. So I don't have this written yet, but there will be a stat server that will kind of track, you know, who's got the, you know, there'll be lots of leaderboards and graphs and stuff in the game of your performance against other people's in the world. Um, and also I want to make sure that people can't cheat with that. Um, so I set out from the beginning to make the core logic um, standalone. And so really Unity is basically there to gather the player's input and to show them the results of what's going on. That's really all it does. Um, and, you know, provide the tutorial and stuff, but all, all the core logic is um, scribbled away in a, in a little DLL. I love that. I love that answer for a programmer because <laughs> that means you don't have to spend your time learning every time somebody moves something in a menu in Unity the way that, uh, you know, so many programmers who go, look, I need I need the platform support, like especially people who want to do an Xbox release later or you know how it is. Mm. But um 
you know, they give up the ability to do the like actual coding and they have to learn to do it the unity way. That's what mm-hmm. I kind of don't like about it. So that, that seems fantastic if you, if you can uh, easily figure out how to do it. So that's, that's perfect. Good answer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, particularly what I was saying before that the game really lends itself to OO programming. It just, that, that made it just very neat. Uh, and also the other advantage of it is that it is unit tested up, down and sideways. It's really easy to unit test the DLL much more. I mean, unity actually has pretty good, unit test support and you can even get the game loop wired in so you can if you need to wait you know the end of a frame to run to check a state or something you can do that but it is just much easier um to um to do it that way so uh, i I've, i can have real confidence that the actual logic of does this puzzle work is absolutely rock solid um because it's so easy to test it when it's when it's done that way mm-hmm. how is the uh, turnout for your dev streams because i, I love talking to people who do dev streams because as you said, it's it's a great way to stay on topic, on focus. You're not going to take a break on Reddit, like you said. <laughs> um, but it seems like Twitch itself is like some days it's great for that. Some days it's mm. still pretty lonely. <laughs> it's almost worse. You know, it's like, well, I'm also on stream <laughs> and there's no one there either. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, um, uh, it's never been huge. Um, which I think is, um, I mean, partly because this game streams aren't going to be as big as, as gameplay streams, but also... Sure. Because it is itself a niche game that I'm making, it doesn't have, you know, when I go and test something, you don't get a, a you know, a couple of minutes of fun action to watch. Um, it is just, you know, uh, cubes moving, moving around a factory. So I think it, uh, as as entertainment, it's not um, the best kind of game dev um, in that sense. Um, yeah, but, you know, um, some of the sort of, some of the really core members of the community I've got are people who arrived via Twitch and have been, you know, watching me dev the game for the last, you know, 18 months or something. So uh, in terms of community building and getting a really keen core who are very supportive, it has been very useful. Is it a uh, sort of very technical audience? Are they primarily fans of of games or are they knowledgeable mm-hmm. on coding and want to see other people do it? Like, how's that? Yeah, I mean, a lot of them are coders, either professional or hobbyists. Um, and, you know, and I'm always sort of, I always say I'm, you know, keen to, happy to answer questions about how game dev works on stream. So I get, you know, I get some students kind of asking, you know, how, how things work, that kind of thing. Um, I think also if you're interested in the game, you're probably, there's a high chance you're probably quite into programming anyway, um, mm. just because of the, that nature of the game. So, it's like there's a, the thing people always say that like marketing on Twitter doesn't really work for game dev because the people who follow you are other game devs, which is, I think is true. Like, I've got a slight advantage that there's quite high odds that game devs would like my game, but nonetheless, it is, um, yes, <laughs> you're beware of having, you know, huge followings on Twitter that don't actually go anywhere because it's not really your target audience. But um, yeah, there's a certain amount of crossover, I think. Yeah, I, I I saw that come up also, and there's a comic strip about it going around right now, oh, which yeah. everybody's seeing, yeah, yeah. And, and I saw it, and... I guess for one thing, I, I'm probably bringing a little personal emotion into that because it's like, okay, well, I'm I'm making something primarily for that that same audience, and so it feels like like, are you questioning my judgment? Which is perfectly fair to talk about. Like, maybe it's not the best way to spend time, but I I do think it's a valid way to spend time because that that audience to me, they're people who are so passionate about games for one thing that they tried to learn how to make them and do creative work. So. I still think they're gamers at heart and they're connected to other gamers, but I do also agree that like too many people are too into it. So like there's a balance to strike for one thing. I think it's good for you. I think it's good for you to meet and connect with people who are doing it. When you say that you're frustrated with, you know, unity 
2020 dot whatever like somebody's gonna know and somebody's gonna yeah i know it's totally like they gotta fix that but it can't be all you do like through release and then go like Mm. none of these developers bought my game like well they're pretty busy you know (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) they don't people to buy their game (laughs) if we all bought each other's games all that happened steam would take a big cut and we don't have no money left so right. <laughs> everyone's passing the same $15 around every time yeah. a game comes out and steam's just gradually. So yeah. 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 <laughs> do you, uh, do you see yourself doing release beyond steam? Like, are you on itch? Like, do you have any other platforms you like or? Yes. I mean, I've sort of focusing on steam now because also that's where the, the volume is. Um, I would like to do the other things. Um, I don't, I mean, there's a certain amount of overhead of, you know, it, it does slow you down a bit, whether it's better to get the game out on Steam and then go to the things later. Like, there is a, you know, a niche page, but there's nothing, you know, it, it's not sort of really what I'm pushing. Um, mm. So I think it will probably end up being Steam only on release, but then I will um, stick it on the other storefronts. I was then talking to other indies that sort of, you know, got their game on GOG, but they were saying, well, you don't really get a lot of uplift from that. And, you've, you know, they're kind of insisting on feature parity in terms of, you know, achievements and all the other stuff. Um, so... Yeah, I was sort of cautioned against it uh, by by at least one person who hadn't had a lot of success with it. So, yeah, um, and also there's EGS as well, um, where you know it may end up. But um, yeah, so I'm not sort of really focusing on that right now. And I, I I guess I probably know the answer to this, but this may not be the one to try to port to consoles, right? I mean, like that seems like a tall order. <laughs> yes, I, I, I mean. I'm just trying to think how on earth I would, what on earth I would do to the control scheme to make it work on right. the pad. Yeah, um, yeah, amongst other things, you know, because of, because it's a you know, it's um, you know, if you've looked at looked at, it, you'll notice that every every letter on the keyboard is a shortcut to a different command. For example, I mean, also you don't have to play it with the keyboard shortcuts, but you know, it's that kind of relatively, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of different things in that UI that you could do. You know, but people have got it running on a Steam Deck, which is um, which was fun, and it doesn't. It's not optimized for that. You know, the controls aren't great. The UI is very small. Um, but um, yeah, it, it's not a, in, certainly in its current state, it's not a game that really lends itself to that, I don't think. I think the ambition for that kind of depends on where you started playing. Like you you talked about very early memories, typing on the keyboard and stuff. Like you seem like <laughs> a, a PC person. <laughs> Whereas like, I, I think about that all the time. Like it'd be so fun to get my first game on the Switch, you know, because I'm a big Nintendo mm. kid growing up. But like the path there is a lot further, you know, it's like it's you're starting on PC anyway. And uh, if things go well, you can get Nintendo's attention and, and do a Switch release. It's a It's a tough road, especially for like, Indies just getting established who haven't done a big release yet, don't have any contacts there. You know what I mean? Uh, Switch has been this sort of, at least, at least to me, I was surprised at first, this sort of, you know, uh, big success point for Indies, uh, which I hadn't expected. Um, I don't own one. Um, but um, yeah, a lot of people are sort of having a lot of success with it, bringing um, games to Switch. But um, yeah, it's um, it's a cool platform. But yeah, I just think it's unlikely Hexade is going to end up on there. How long from now, at the time of recording, uh, how much longer is the uh, crowdfunding campaign going to be? Oh, it's uh, it's just over a month. So it's the 3rd of November is when it ends. Um, so I kind of timed it now because it, um, the game's also going to be on Steam Next Fest uh, next week. So the 3rd of October is when it starts, isn't it? Oh, nice. Um, so that's kind of, I've sort of dovetailed all of that to drive as much traffic uh, as I can. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but there's, what, 36 days to go, I think. Got it. So uh, plenty of plenty of time for people to 
hear this and ho- hopefully go check it out, of course. <laughs> now, again, we're, we're guilty of doing the thing where we're going to talk to game developers about game development yep. and go, hey, <laughs> catch the game. But to to my argument's credit, we do see that. We see that, mm. you know, that that audience tends to support uh, mm. game stuff. And I, I think some of it's just selfish. We all like games. We all want to play mm. good games and we hear about them and we go, go play them. But um, let people know uh, where to follow you online, where to see the project, anything. Yeah. And by the way, if you're into game dev, it's a programming game, so you'll probably like it. But um, it's true. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So there's, um, I mean, if you search for Hexahedra on Steam, um, it'll, it'll come up. So there's a demo on there. So you can, um, uh, one of the reasons yeah, the Kickstarter is happening now is that I've, now I've got a demo. I can say, hey, the first thing on the Kickstarter page is go and play the demo. See if you like it. Come back, back it. Um, yes. And um, yeah, it's on Kickstarter. Um, be the other place. Um, there is, um, there's various other places you can find, which are probably hard to read out, but I don't know if you can add links to, to stuff. Oh, like yeah. That, we'll but, we'll um, have links for, yeah. yeah. Cool. <laughs> so yeah, there's a Discord server for the game. There's Twitter. Um, you can go and watch me on, on Twitch and kind of ask me game dev questions if you like. Um, those would be the, the obvious places, I think. Cool. Yeah. Discord needs easier links or something. I don't know what to do, but it, it's difficult to get people uh, onto servers, you know? Yeah. yeah. If your server is boosted enough, they give you a nice link, I think, um, but rather than the kind of random string of text. But uh, yeah, it is. But they're never easy to remember. Yeah. I'm not far enough to even know that that feature exists. So like <laughs> we've got one. It's nothing like that. So, but uh, this this is all very cool. I, I uh, wish you the best of luck. I hope the game does well. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing the full thing in action, and uh, I'd encourage people to check it out. So uh, good luck with it, and uh, come back. Let us know how it went. Thank you very much. Okay, as always, if you enjoy Game Dev Breakdown, please consider subscribing wherever you're listening right now. We have articles, show notes, and more available at CodeWritePlay.com. You can reach out on Twitter at CodeWritePlay, at GameDevPod, and me at MechaToddZilla with one D and two L's. Thank you guys so much. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to our sponsors. Show them some love, and we will talk to you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.